A Mother's Quiet Time. Hey, welcome. It's another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, who called us to live to a higher standard every day. To not just be satisfied with a little religion in life as a shallow substitute of what we could have. In the coming days, we'll continue to hear from family, friends, and others influenced by Elizabeth's life and message. Well, today we conclude our look at Time Alone with God, parts four and five of that series, A Mother's Quiet Time, and Being Alone with God, the two Gateway to Joy programs. Also, we'll hear from a couple special guests, Pastor Barry Owens, who will talk about a visit Elizabeth made to his church and uh, how people sensed there was something special going on. Also, a friend of Elizabeth, Juana Michaels, talks about a prayer that she learned from Elizabeth that's been important in her life as she has raised a family, including a blind daughter. First, though, it's part four of Time Alone with God, A Mother's Quiet Time. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says. And underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot talking again today about being alone with God. Some folks would call this devotions, whatever you want to call it. Time alone with God is an essential element of the Christian life. We need not only to go to church and to join with other people in prayer and Bible reading and Bible study, but we need time alone with God. That's the time when we can examine our own hearts straighten out our priorities for the day, lay our requests before God, and listen to what God might have to say to us. We need to practice solitude. For some of you, that may be literally impossible, depending on your living situation. Even if you have to use a closet, or a bathroom, or maybe the car in the garage, Maybe you can find a solitary place, but if not, there is such a thing as solitude of spirit, quietness inside. Pause as you go up the stairs. Lift up your heart and say, Thank you, Lord. Help me. If you're a mother, there may be many occasions when what you need to do is to kneel down in the kitchen with your arms around two little children and pray, Lord, give me wisdom. Perhaps you have settled yourself very comfortably in your solitary room in a nice, comfortable chair at 6 o'clock in the morning when nobody else is awake, you think, and you're just breathing a great sigh of relief that you have this time alone with God, and in comes one or two of your little children. And what do you do? You include them, of course. You don't send them away. My mother, of course, had a special quiet time after everybody had gone off to school. But if she had a young child at home who had not yet started school, that child was given to understand that as a rule, Mama had quiet time and he was not to interrupt. But it goes without saying that a mother is always available if there's an emergency. I find myself often just lifting up my heart to God which just means saying, Lord, I lift up my heart to you. Maybe because he knows I've suffered some hurt, 
or maybe because a thought has just flown through my mind. Maybe it's because of something I want to thank him about, but in one way or another, I want to refer it to God. So I say, Lord, I lift up my heart. And in certain churches, when the the pastor says, lift up your hearts, the congregation responds audibly, we lift them up to you. In the office, can you have solitude of spirit once in a while? Can you lift up your heart just in an SOS and say, Lord, help me to be gracious to this difficult person? These are just those little SOS prayers. But can you manage 10 or 15 unbroken minutes, first thing in the morning, to get your bearings, to plot your course under God's direction, and to take your position as his child, his servant? I would recommend that you keep a notebook handy and write down lessons that you're learning. Maybe there's one particular verse that has stood out in your Bible reading, or some sin that the Lord has brought to your mind that you have been struggling with, why not make a note, just jot it down, and ask the Lord to help you to pray about that. Again, I'd like to read from A.W. Tozer's little leaflet, Exposition Must Have Application. Bible exposition, without moral application, raises no opposition. That's a memorable statement, isn't it? Bible exposition without moral application raises no opposition. It is only when the hearer is made to understand that truth is in conflict with his heart that resistance sets in. As long as people can hear orthodox truth divorced from life, they will attend and support churches and institutions without objection. The truth is a lovely song, becomes sweet by a long and tender association. And since it asks nothing but a few dollars and offers good music, pleasant friendships, and a comfortable sense of well-being, it meets with no resistance from the faithful. Much that passes for New Testament Christianity is little more than objective truth, sweetened with song and made palatable by religious entertainment. I'm afraid that's getting to be more and more the case. The truth of this statement, let me read it again, much that passes for New Testament Christianity is little more than objective truth sweetened with song and made palatable by religious entertainment. Many people have the idea now that worship means singing or listening to music. I would not eliminate those as possible forms of worship, but worship means a great deal more than that, and the highest form of worship is obedience, my personal, humble, daily obedience. It's easy to go and sit in church. It's easy to listen to some kinds of music. I find it very difficult to listen to certain kinds of music that we're subjected to in some churches, but the great thing is, what difference does it make in my life? Probably no other portion of scriptures can compare with the Pauline epistles when it comes to making artificial saints. This is A.W. Tozier. Now I'm continuing. No other portion of the scriptures can compare with the Pauline epistles when it comes to making artificial saints. Peter warned that the unlearned 
and unstable would rest Paul's writings to their own destruction. And we have only to visit the average Bible conference and listen to a few lectures to know what he meant. The ominous thing is that the Pauline doctrines may be taught with complete faithfulness to the letter of the text without making the hearers one whit better. The teacher may and often does so teach the truth as to leave the hearers without a sense of moral obligation. I have to pause over those words because I am teaching on this program. It's my purpose to build up and encourage Christians and to call others who would like to be Christians to Jesus Christ. But do I leave you day by day, without a sense of moral obligation? Am I failing to help you to see that it's no good listening to Elizabeth Elliot and Gateway to Joy and all the stuff that I read to you, which is so rich spiritually, without reminding you that you personally have to do something about it? And I'm speaking to those who are Christians and those who are not Christians. If you hear the Word of God, you have a responsibility you have to do something. What are you going to do? The teacher may, and often does, so teach the truth as to leave the hearers without a sense of moral obligation. Now, if you would like some very sound, good scriptural help with your devotions, I would strongly recommend Scripture Union materials. Tozer says one reason for the divorce between truth and life may be the lack of the Spirit's illumination. Another, surely, is the teacher's unwillingness to get himself into trouble. And that's where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? I do get myself into a fair measure of trouble because of some of the things that I say on this program. I always want to emphasize that it is the Bible that is my guide. It is the Holy Spirit. It is Christ himself whom I trust to help me to be faithful to his word, but also to help me to be a faithful doer of the word that I'm sharing with other people. And there are some very tough things in the Bible that I just as soon skip over. I don't always skip over them, and I do get myself into trouble. Would you please pray that I will not be a teacher unwilling to get myself into trouble, but that I may be faithful to give you the whole counsel of God. Tozer says any man with fair pulpit gifts can get on with the average congregation if he just feeds them and lets them alone. Give them plenty of objective truth and never hint that they are wrong or should be set right and they will be content. May the Lord guide you as you seek time alone with him. The next to the last in our series of Time Alone with God, that was A Mother's Quiet Time. We'll wrap up this series in a little bit with Being Alone with God. Later we'll hear from a guest, Pastor Barry Owens of Charleston. He'll talk about a time Elizabeth visited his church. A special time it was. Right now, it's a friend of Elizabeth, Juana Michaels. She's raised her family, including a daughter who was born blind. She thinks about a prayer that she learned from Elizabeth. 
I have prayed over and over the last five years and written on this card a prayer that Elizabeth Elliot taught me. I am willing to receive what you send, to lack what you withhold, to relinquish what you take, to suffer what you inflict, to do what you command, to be what you require. And let my obedience be without interruption. In Philippians 4, 8, it says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Author and longtime friend of Lars and Elizabeth, that was Juana Michaels. All right, now let's conclude our current series with Being Alone with God. You are loved with an everlasting love. That's what the Bible says, and underneath are the everlasting arms. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking again today about being alone with God. I've made a few suggestions about what you might do if you need help with your quiet time with the Lord. Most important of all is to set a time, which is a reasonable hour or a few minutes that you can manage in your schedule. And you and God both know what your schedule is. So I hope that you won't use the excuse that you don't have time for quiet time because God will certainly help you to arrange that if you really want to. Have a time and a place and a posture. Make up your mind if you want to sit, stand, walk, lie down, or whatever, and put yourself in the presence of God. Make an offering of yourself. Sometimes I would call it a ratifying of the surrender that you have once made. And just remind the Lord that He is your Lord and Master, and you are His servant, and you're here to receive His directions. Read your Bible, pray, and my strong suggestion is that you should incorporate hymns also in your prayers because they are so full of prayer. Many of the old hymns of the church are in themselves prayer. And if you're anything like me, you often find yourself at a loss for words. You don't quite know how to say what you want to say. And it's perfectly legitimate to use written prayers. There are many of them in the Bible. Every epistle of Paul has prayers in it. And there are prayers, of course, in the Psalms. The Psalms are practically all prayers. So make use of those. Now, you're not just going to find time. You're going to have to make it, and that does take discipline. One of the things that deters people from praying is the feeling that there's no point in telling God what he already knows. Well, Oswald Chambers, such a down-to-earth, sensible man, has this to say. To the rationalist, it's ridiculous to pray to God about everything. Hiding behind this ridicule is the devil, who wants to keep us from knowing the road to take when the crisis comes. Hezekiah knew the road. In his prayer, Hezekiah tells God what he knows God knows already. That's the meaning of prayer. I tell God what I know he knows in order that I may get to know it as he does. It is not true to say that a man learns to pray in calamities. He seldom does. He calls on God to deliver him. 
but he does not pray. A man only learns to pray when there is no calamity. And the passage to which he refers about Hezekiah is from Isaiah 37. Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. O Lord Almighty, God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen to all the words Sennacherib has sent to insult the living God. It is true, O Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste all these peoples and their lands. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them, for they were not gods, but only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, O Lord our God, deliver us from his hand, so that all kingdoms on earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. Now there's an example of a written prayer. If you would like to use that one in your own prayers, I think it would make sense. You could fill in other situations than Sennacherib's attack. But it is Isaiah 37, verses 14 to 20. Hezekiah is telling God what he knows, God knows, already. St. Gregory said, By asking, men deserve to receive what the all-powerful God has decided will be obtained through prayer. Men deserve to receive what the all-powerful God has decided will be obtained through prayer. But we are told to ask, aren't we? Ask, and it shall be given to you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. Another aspect of prayer is listening to God. I don't expect God to speak to me in an audible voice. I don't expect him to put handwriting on the wall or give me any stars of Bethlehem or pillars of fire. I really don't expect that he's going to send an angel with a special message for me. Now, he might do that. I'm not ruling out those possibilities, but it's never happened in my experience. And God will have different ways of dealing with different people. But we need to be very cautious about saying the Lord said to me, or the Lord told me, unless you're taking the words directly from Scripture. And even that, of course, can be hazardous, as in the case of the man who was determined to use the hunt and punch method, where you open the Bible, punch your finger down on a verse, and decide that that's what God is saying to you. And so this man punched his finger down, and the verse was, Judas went out and hanged himself. So he thought, well, that can't be what God wants me to do. So he flipped over a few more pages, stuck his finger down, and the verse said, Go thou and do likewise. You can see the hazards of that method of guidance. You will not find time. You have to take time to be holy, as the old hymn says. Feed on his word. Make friends with God's people. Help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to seek. Those are the words from the hymn of Take Time to Be Holy. And I love what George MacDonald says. This has given me pause many times. Many things that God would gladly give us, 
things even that we need, because we are, must wait until we ask for them, that we may know whence they come. When in all gifts we find him, then in him we shall find all things. That's probably an explanation as to why we don't receive some of the things that we want, because it hasn't even crossed our minds to pray about them. And many things that God would gladly give us, things even that we need because we are, must wait until we ask for them so that we may know from whom they come. And when in all our gifts we find him, then in him we shall find all things. I mentioned yesterday Scripture Union Materials. That's a very fine Christian organization that can supply all kinds of devotional helps. One of the things we have to learn is to accept delays. God is not always on our same time schedule. Usually, he's not. John Wesley kept journals. Jim Elliott kept a journal, which is still in print. John Woolwich, a well-known Quaker back in the 1700s, kept a very fascinating journal. He was one of the ones who was very strongly against slavery and did everything he could to stamp out slavery, even in the northern states. I recommend that you read the journals of such people and biographies. You find that these were people who did manage to arrange silence and solitude. Train your children to be quiet. Give them a quiet hour in the afternoon, if possible. Just a time when they have to learn to amuse themselves without making any noise, without running in and out to the bathroom, without coming into Mama's room, because Mama may be taking a little siesta herself, and teach them that this is their time to learn to be alone. They cannot be talking to anybody else, and I know that this works because my daughter does this with her children. She has a family of eight children, and at two o'clock, more or less, in the afternoon, they have quiet hour, and it really is a very important kind of training early in life so that you can know what to do with silence and solitude. One question asked perhaps more than any other about the subject of prayer is why God says no. I have found seven reasons at least in Scripture, and I'm sure there are many more. I'll give them to you just briefly for you to think about. One, for the sake of others. Two, for God's glory among his people. Three, because he has something better to give us. Four, because we are harboring sin in our lives. Five, because we are not asking in his name. Six, for reasons of his own, which we need not know. And seven, in order to lead us not into temptation. Now, just to go back to number one, for example, God said no to Jesus' prayer in Gethsemane. If he had said yes and spared him from going to the cross, you and I would not have been saved. If Paul had not had the thorn that God allowed him to have in the flesh, you and I would have missed out on that great lesson, my grace is all you need. We pray, lead us not into temptation. It's legitimate to pray that. God tells us to pray that. 
but sometimes he allows us to be tempted in order that we may be strengthened spiritually. That was the conclusion of the Time Alone with God series. That was called Being Alone with God. Well, before we go, Pastor Barry Owens of Charleston talks about a time he remembers that Elizabeth was visiting his church, and it was an unusual experience. I was in the pulpit one Sunday. End of the service, we'd sang the opening song or two, and then came his folks, the lady in the wheelchair. And right away, I felt something. I just felt the strength of the Lord is what I felt. After the service, the Reed family stood up and introduced Elizabeth to us. We didn't know who she was at the time. They waited until after the service to do that so that it wouldn't disrupt the service because it really would. We also had a lady in our church whose parents were missionaries, and when when they brought her in, she too felt a warmth from the Lord, her presence. So anyhow, after church, we talked with her a good bit, got her to sign my Bible and all that good stuff, and had a real blessing of fellowshipping with her. Charleston Pastor Barry Owens. Well, we're here at the end of our time together, but before we go, let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, along with you as maybe you jogged or walked. Thanks for letting us come along. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out elizabethelliot.org. ElizabethElliot.org for more talks, devotionals, and other resources. From the Podbean podcast service, Kundai says, I am from Zimbabwe, Africa. It's been almost seven months now since I started listening to Elizabeth Elliot. Her teachings have taught me so much I didn't know. I find myself consciously taking the opportunities to die the little deaths of my everyday life with gladness. Thank you for this. Well, thank you, Kundai. Thank you for taking time to join us. But until next time, may God remind you daily you're loved with an everlasting love. And underneath are those everlasting arms.